Please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 3, the third chapter of Luke, and let's consider for a few more minutes the subject of the importance of works, faithfulness, godliness as the evidence of our salvation. There has been enough said in the way of introduction as to why I'm preaching this, the error that I'm opposing, and the desire that I have for your souls and my soul, that we will be gripped with our daily life in every thought, word, and deed. Luke chapter 3, this is the first Baptist. John the Baptist. Verses 1 through 3 tell us the political rulers that were in place so that we can pinpoint the time when the gospel began to be preached by John. Verse 4 tells us about Isaiah having given a prophecy of this man. And then verse 7 tells us his warm statement to his generation. Here was his invitation. O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance, and begin not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Every tree therefore which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Here's his message. And the people asked him, saying, What shall we do then? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved? If you think that's all Paul had to say to the Philippian jailer, you've never read your Bible. There was no prayer made in the cell of the Apostle Paul in the Philippian jail. He took that jailer home and preached to him the word of God, which included repentance from every evil thing done in that man's life. Then that man believed. Then his family believed. Then they were all baptized. There was no prayer made in Acts 16. He didn't even know what to believe in Acts 16. He didn't even know who the Jesus Christ was, but he did before the night was over. But here is John the Baptist with a perfect opportunity. What shall we do then? If God's unhappy with our generation, what shall we do? Invite Jesus into our heart? Believe on Jesus? No and no is the Bible answer. Here's what John the Baptist, the first Baptist preacher, said. He answereth and saith unto them, He that hath two coats, let him impart to him that hath none. And he that hath meat, let him do likewise. If you had clothing, more than enough for you, and someone else didn't have, you were to clothe them. If you had food, more than enough for you, and someone else didn't have, you were to give to them. And I want you to remember that a passage I may or I may not get to in this short assembly. Jesus Christ will one day separate all men like a shepherd would separate goats from sheep, and he'll remember these two things. He will not remember whether you invited his son into your heart, because that is not taught in the Bible. 
what he will remember is what is a greater evidence of eternal life than faith. Love. The devils believe and tremble, but the devils do not have love. And so I want you to see that John the Baptist's gospel and Jesus Christ's gospel and Paul's gospel and the Apostle John's gospel and the first epistle of John are all the same. What shall we do then? Show me some pure religion and visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction. Sounds like he's the same as James. Verse 12. Then came also publicans, those are the tax collectors, chosen and assigned and empowered by the Roman government to take taxes of their fellow countrymen, the Jews, and to give to the Roman government. Then came also publicans to be baptized and said unto him, Master, what shall we do? I will not bore your ears any longer, or I will try not to, with mocking what today's ministers would say. Exact no more than that which is appointed you. The publicans were known for gouging men. If you had an an emissary from the Roman government at your front door telling you that you owed a thousand dollars, you thought it was eight hundred, but he said a thousand, and you could hear in the background the clinking of some Roman soldiers, guess what you paid? We still have a decent tax system. You paid the thousand. And so the word of John the Baptist was, don't you dare charge anyone and gouge them or pad your charges for your own pocket. Isn't that something? Why didn't he tell them to believe on Jesus Christ? I'm going to baptize the Messiah soon. Believe on him and be saved. This is what God wants. And you know what? A man who hasn't been regenerated, he hears John the Baptist preach this and he goes home and just keeps right on gouging. A man who's been born again with the Spirit of God hears this, he's convicted. Do I have an example? Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. I used to sing in a little song. And Zacchaeus climbed up in a sycamore tree to see the Lord Jesus Christ. But the Lord Jesus Christ coming by stopped and looked up in that tree and said, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to go to your house today. And Zacchaeus popped down out of that tree and heard the whole crowd murmuring because he was a publican. He had been gouging people. He heard the murmuring and he said, Lord, I'm going to sell half of all that I own and give it to the poor. And if I've wronged any man, I'll restore fourfold. Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house. This is the Bible. That is real salvation. What in the world would cause a man to sell half of all his assets and give it to the poor and to say, if I've wronged anyone, the crowd murmuring meant that he probably had, I'll restore it fourfold. Now that is thorough repentance. Right. We do have an example. Verse 14, the soldiers likewise demanded of him, saying, And what shall we do? What would cause a man, a soldier, a publican, the people, to go to a Baptist preacher and say, What shall we do then? 
your preaching of a holy God and His wrath against our nation and against our generation has me convicted. What should I do? What causes a man to do that? The Spirit of the living God. A a, a man that's not born again doesn't ask those kind of questions. So what's the preaching? What's the content of the gospel? The warning of God's judgment upon sinners and sinful lifestyles. What's the response of the regenerate? What shall we do? What's the response of the unregenerate? They just keep on doing what they've been doing. So that the preaching of God's wrath becomes the savour of life unto life for those that are born again, the elect of God, and it becomes the savour of death unto death for the reprobates. It manifests the fact that they are dead. That is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. The soldiers demanded, saying, What shall we do? And he said unto them, Do violence to no man, because you've got the weapons, and because you've got the authority of Rome behind you. Do violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely, and be content with your wages. Soldiers have never been paid well. And when they're in a foreign country and they're occupying another nation that they have no great love for, there's a temptation to do a little bit of plundering to pad your trip, your business trip as a soldier. And so the Lord had some things for them here. And I'm not going to explain each one of them. You should be able to understand them as well. Soldiers can be given to violence when they're occupying a nation. And they can be discontent with their wages. And that was John the Baptist's gospel response to three categories asking, what shall we do in light of God's judgment? There it is. And so, the emphasis in this church is on holy living, practical godliness, and obeying the Bible. Other churches don't have time for it. There's one category of churches that just wants to entertain. So it's the prosperity gospel of Joel Osteen and others. They just want to tell you that God wants to take away your debts. God wants you to be happy. God wants to lift your burdens. And so it's a social gospel. I'm not even going to go to causing the world to be literate. Then there's another gospel. The whole, the whole emphasis of their assemblies is to get you saved. And if you're not sure you're saved, to get you saved again. Listen, I invited Jesus into my heart so many times Because I never believed that the one before was quite good enough to get God to bend over and write my name in the book of life. So I just kept inviting him in to make sure. And so they don't preach the word of God. They'll talk about the Great Commission. They'll make it their mission statement. They'll have an invitation every service. But why don't they preach and emphasize the things that Paul emphasized in the books of the Bible from Romans to Hebrews? Those epistles do not talk about the Great Commission. They don't talk about getting souls saved. They talk about you living like you are saved. They talk about you having a changed life. They talk about you measuring up to the holiness of God by a holy life so that God will accept you. This is the first Baptist preacher. This is how men ought to preach. Oh, generation of vipers! Who's warned you to flee from the wrath to come? We understand that to be the wrath of 70 A.D. upon the nation of Israel. 
And then he goes on to describe them that their false confidence in Abraham was entirely wrong, that God could raise up children to Abraham from the stones that were around them. Look at Philippians chapter 2 with me. Philippians chapter 2. What would John the Baptist say to you? If John the Baptist was given the spirit of discernment by the Holy Spirit, and you came and said, what must I do then? What would he say to you? Be a Christian wife. Because you haven't been one. Be a loving husband. Because you haven't been one. When was the last time you prayed? Is that what he'd say to you? Go read Psalm 15 again. You go to work tomorrow and you act like a Christian for a change. What would he say to you? Let's make the word of God as plain as it can be to us. What in our lives should be changed to meet the God that we're to take, that we're to live in fear before, according to 1 Peter chapter 1 that I read to you a few minutes ago. Now's time for Philippians 2, verse 12. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, I feel that Philippians 2.12 is a perfect invitation text. At the end of a service about the holiness of God and the wrath of God and the perfect glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has ascended up on high, isn't that a great text for an invitation? Shouldn't a minister get down before his people and tell them, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Why isn't that preached? Look at what it says. This verse is not alone. This is totally compatible and in agreement with what John preached in Luke 3. It's entirely compatible and in agreement with what I read to you from 1 Peter 1 about spending the time of your sojourning here in fear. You're to work out your own salvation. That's why I'm preaching a sermon called Salvation by Works. Even though works do not merit or earn eternal life, works are the evidence of our salvation. And they are what God has called from our lives. And if you want to hear some other kind of gospel, there's plenty of churches in Greenville that will offer it to you. But if you want to hear the Word of God, this is the Word of God. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. If a person hears that message, says that's a hard, that's a hard thing. They said that in John chapter 6 to Jesus. The disciples came and told him that's a hard saying. Don't you know that you're offending your hearers? Didn't I already tell you that except the Father which hath sent me draw them, none of them can come to me? How about this one? And he gives them a harder saying. He drove away a whole crowd in John chapter 6 that believed on him and wanted to make him king. But they only believed on him and wanted to make him king because they were looking for another free lunch. 
because he had fed their multitudes with, five, with loaves. That is the entire chapter of John chapter 6. It is one of my favorites in the Bible. The sermon I preached to you a number of years ago from that chapter is one of my favorites because it goes entirely against the seeker-sensitive movement. These were seekers trying to make Jesus king, and Jesus provoked them by his preaching until they left him. And when they left him, he turned to the little crowd that was left of his apostles and said, Will ye go away also? To whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are certain that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter did do a pretty good job sometimes, didn't he? And he did it in John chapter 6. Thank you, Lord, for John chapter 6. Look at the text. Remember these texts. Remember that this is what Paul told us to do. Remember there is no verse that tells you to get saved by inviting Jesus into your heart, but there are a multitude of verses like this that tell you to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. How do we work it out? Doing the eight things of Second Peter chapter 1. Why do we do it with fear and trembling? Because God, the one you're calling Father, is holy, according to First Peter chapter 1. Because God's wrath is about ready to burst upon this world for their disobedience. Be not ye partakers with them. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. This is the message of God's word. Repent. What do you think Romans 12, 1 and 2 is going to say to us? I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy acceptable unto God. Wasn't Paul laboring to be accepted of him? Acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now those are elect brethren in Rome, and that's how Paul preached. Paul was not preaching to them to get out on the streets and buttonhole people and bring them to church the next Sunday. 1 Timothy chapter 6. When you see these verses, you'll know that I believe in repetition. AIDS learning. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. Timothy, this is a personal letter from the Apostle Paul to his ministerial understudy, Timothy. First Timothy 6, 12. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Notice, he was still told to lay hold on eternal life. How? By fighting the good fight of faith. Faith is not coming forward and inviting Jesus into your heart. Faith is believing everything God has said and then going and fighting for it. It's the work of faith. Faith without works is dead. The devils believe that Jesus is the Son of God. They believe it more than you ever will. They tremble. The Bible tells us it wants us to know the devils tremble. But what does the Bible say? Fight the good fight of faith. Fight the world. Fight your flesh. Fight the devil. Fight error. Hold fast to the truth. How about verses 17 through 19? Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good. Here's what the rich ought to do. That they do good, that they be rich in good works, 
ready to distribute of their wealth, willing to communicate. That doesn't mean writing emails. That means willing to communicate of their wealth. Distribution and communication means the same things. Let him that is taught in the word communicate to him that teacheth in all good things means to give. So the emphasis is, Timothy, the rich that are in the assemblies that you pastor, I want you to tell them that they be rich in good works, that they don't be high-minded because of their economic status, that they don't trust in uncertain riches because they can make themselves wings and fly away. It's God that giveth us richly all things to enjoy, but they be ready to distribute and willing to communicate their good things to others. Verse 19, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come. What is the time to come? The day of judgment. How can you lay up in store for yourselves a good foundation? I thought that there is one foundation laid that any man can lay, which is Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Does it say that in the Bible? I think it's chapter 3. Forgive me. There is no foundation laid but that which is laid, which was laid by the Apostle Paul, the Lord Jesus Christ. But here's a foundation that the rich could lay up for themselves against the time to come. This is the Bible. I don't care what Bill Hybels says. I don't care what anyone says. What does the Bible say? Men can lay up a foundation against the time to come, and it's not by inviting Jesus into their heart. You would think by listening to these Arminians, no one else needs a foundation except to look in the back of their Bible. Oh, neat. June 17th, 1960. I was three years old when I first invited Jesus into my heart. You know, as a three-year-old, it was a very well-thought-out, carefully planned decision of commitment to follow the Lord Jesus Christ in obedience for the rest of my life. I was three. Now, I did it a thousand times after that because every time I heard a decent sermon, I squirmed a little bit because I still didn't think my name was in the book of life because I knew what was inside. So I'd invite him in again. I was still doing it at Bob Jones. You know, you had to make a choice. If you're not sure if you're saved or not, raise your hand. Well, you got to make a choice. I'm going to raise my hand and embarrass myself or I'm going to be a liar. So since I'm already guilty of my sins and afraid of God, I'll go ahead and raise my hand. Oh, no, here come the prayer warriors. They're going to get me saved for the 1,000th time. You know, it's amazing when you have 5,000 students in a student body at Bob Jones University that they run about 17,000 people getting saved from the student body every year? You know how that happens, don't you? There's a whole lot like me. There is another foundation. The only foundation that's going to get your name in the book of life and save you in the great day of judgment is the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Coming for you personally, dying for you personally, and living forever at God's right hand, interceding for you personally. But... To make your calling and election sure, you can lay up and store a foundation for yourself knowing that out of a love for Jesus Christ, you have given of your assets to others out of love for Christ so that Jesus can one day say of you, and it's only evidence in Matthew 25, Jesus is going to have all nations gathered before him like a shepherd separates
certain sheep. He's going to put the sheep on his right hand, the goats on his left. He's going to tell the goats that he's prepared an eternal hell for them and the devil and his angels. Because they never showed Christian love. He's going to say to the sheep on the right hand, Enter into the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world because you have shown Christian love. Not because you invited and you didn't invite me into your heart, but because you showed the greatest evidence taught in the New Testament, and that is brotherly love. Because Jesus will say, when the righteous, they don't say, Lord, Lord, don't you remember us? They just stand there. We are not worthy... They just stand there totally unworthy of being on his right hand as sheep. And they'll say, Lord, when did we ever take you in or visit you or clothe you or give you anything to eat or to drink? And he'll say, in so much that you did it unto one of the least of these, my brethren. Giving to the United Fund doesn't count. You say, well, I'm getting double-dipped then. That's your fault. The United Fund doesn't count because it's giving to those that are the least of these, my brethren. It's giving in the name of Jesus Christ, for the cause of Jesus Christ, to the followers of Jesus Christ. It's not giving to the goats. That doesn't cut it with the Lord as charity. He knows as well as you know, who knows as well as I know, that giving to the United Fund is how you keep your job. Look at the text. I just love the Bible. I live, I live in fear every day of my life that I would misdivide a, worse, a word of this, but I can't figure out another way to understand this except that the rich have an advantage in that they can give stuff away and thus provide a foundation for the assurance of their own souls. They don't earn their way to heaven. We don't believe in buying with by gold and silver an entrance into heaven. You don't get your name written in the book of life by doing this, but you can show the evidence that your name is there. You can lay hold on eternal life. I think those are the next words. That they may lay hold on eternal life. How does a minister lay hold on eternal life? Fight the good fight of faith. How does a rich man lay hold on eternal life? Give to the poor. Be willing to communicate it. Ready to distribute. As soon as you see or hear of a need, it's out of the pocket and to them. You can lay up in store for yourselves a good foundation. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Brethren, we're down to about number 10. And I only have 74. But we're going to end in five minutes. I'll give you the outline. I hope you, I hope you know the point that I can just keep on going with these kind of verses because this is what the Bible teaches. First Timothy chapter four and verse eight. Did I make, have I made the point clear enough that back there for Timothy and for the rich? There were things they could do to lay hold of eternal life. Why lay hold of eternal life if they had made a decision for Jesus many years earlier 
And that dated decision was all they needed. Why this continual emphasis on working out your own salvation with fear and trembling? Why? Because that is the evidence of a child of God, and it is that kind of character and conduct change that pleases the God that we call Father. And I wish I had time right now to preach First Peter chapter 1, word for word, where it says, spend the time of your sojourning here in fear, because if you're going to call that God Father, you had better be living like His child. And He has worked in us both to will and to do of His good pleasure. You say, but my good works will... Do you know what people will... They'll quote Isaiah 64 out of context. All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. No, they are not. Jesus Christ doesn't mention filthy rags in heaven. He sanctifies all them by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. You will never do one thing without it being tainted with sin. But that's why Jesus died on the cross. And if your heart is in the matter, he can hold a man like King Asa with a perfect heart, though there were high places left in Israel. How could he do that? By the grace of God. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts and my ways are higher than your ways. Let me tell you, if we see one little bit of resistance on a person that is saying they're sorry to us, guess what? I'll forgive you tomorrow, maybe. Not the Lord. He accepts those things and He sanctifies them. There's never been a sermon preached except by the Lord Jesus Christ that wasn't mixed with error in the motives, in the character, in the conduct, and in the delivery of the truth of God's Word. I'm thankful that the blood of Jesus Christ washes away and purifies it all. First Timothy four eight. Timothy bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. There's something more than a decision for Jesus. There's godliness that has promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Second Timothy chapter four. Second Timothy chapter four. Verse six. The last chapter our brother wrote. I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Notice that the Apostle Paul, in writing a personal letter to Timothy, did not refer to the Damascus Road. He did not describe any evangelist that he heard, that he responded to in a decision. He did not mention a tract that he had read. What he listed as the basis on which he had lived worthy of the Son of God and could lay a claim to eternal life was, I have fought a good fight. No wonder that he could write Timothy and say, fight the good fight of faith. He had fought that good fight. I have fought 
a good fight. I have fought my flesh. I have fought the world. I have fought the devil. And I have fought false teachers. I didn't compromise. And I didn't give in. And I didn't lay down. And I didn't retire on the job. I have finished my course. You gave me a job to do. I have finished my course. I began preaching boldly in Damascus, and I still am at this day in Rome, Italy. I have kept the faith. The faith of the Lord Jesus Christ is the embodiment of the whole gospel of the New Testament. I have kept it. I've obeyed it. This is what Paul would describe as his testimony. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Brethren, there are 64 other passages I intended to take you to, but I didn't get there. I hope that you know when you go to the first three chapters of the book of Revelation, to each church, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is that glorious being described in the first chapter, would say, He that overcomes has a right to the tree of life. He that overcomes seven times to the seven churches. He that overcomes. That is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are not an overcomer, if you do not believe the record that God has given of His Son Jesus Christ, which is right in this Bible, God has declared about His Son Jesus Christ, if you do not believe it, and if you have not been baptized in it, or if you have believed it, and you have been baptized, but you're not an overcomer, you do not have the evidence of eternal life. You are not laying hold of eternal life. You are not making your calling and election sure. The Bible tells you how to do those things. May we remember Psalm 15. May we remember 2 Peter chapter 1, making our election sure. May we remember 1 Thessalonians 1, knowing, brethren beloved, your election of God. May we remember these four passages in 1 and 2 Timothy. May we remember what John the Baptist answered to three categories that asked him, What shall we do then? May we right now examine ourselves before we come to the table of the high king of heaven and examine ourselves what is missing in my fight of the good fight of faith. What should I be doing that I'm not? What am I doing that this king hates? This is the Lord Jesus Christ that we remember. And as we come to this table, let us remember that we ought to spend the time of our sojourning here in fear and that we ought to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. That those verses do not fit the theology of our opponents, let them answer to the God of heaven. But brethren, we cannot be content attacking enemies outside the four walls of this church and enemies outside our home and enemies outside your chest cavity. You better be attacking the one enemy that counts, and it's you. What in your life would John the Baptist have pinpointed with his delivery? What in your life would Jesus Christ expose? Jesus Christ is able to discern the thoughts and intents of your heart. Is your heart and my heart fully intent on loving Him who loved us and gave Himself for us, on obeying the Word of God and of working our salvation out, of practicing the character traits of the righteous, of laying hold of eternal life. This is what the Gospel calls you to do today. Let us again 
in our hearts. Renew our commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Not to have our names in the book of life. We trust by God's grace if we've been living righteously and we love His Son that our names are there. But let us repent of any foolishness, wickedness. Let's not be conformed to this world, but let us be transformed. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Heavenly Father, do not let one of your elect children walk out of this place without being deeply convicted of their foolishness and their sins and turning unto thee with their whole hearts to reread these passages, to confess their sins, to forsake their folly, and to follow thee with all their might and to fight the good fight of faith and to lay hold of eternal life. Heavenly Father, help us to this end. Save our children by your mighty power. May they come to us and say, Daddy, what shall I do then to act like an elect child of God and an elect child of yours? And let us give them a holy answer of godliness and temperance and patience and remembering their Creator in the days of their youth. Hear us, Heavenly Father, as we call upon Thee. Bless us now to remember Your Son in a way pleasing to Thee and glorifying to Him. For it's in His name, His name alone, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen.